Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This is the American Veteran Show. Proud to finally say these two words. Welcome home. Dedicated to those who have worn the uniform. Tremendous national asset. Dedicated to our active duty men and women. They came not as conquerors. But as liberators. Dedicated to presenting issues, topics, and interviews highlighting their commitment to our country. I want to thank the courageous men and women who've served their country in uniform. Less than 1% of the population of our country chooses to serve our country in the military. And the other 99% of us, we owe them. Online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephen Tubbs. Welcome to our final edition of the American Veteran Show. Thank you so much for not only listening as we speak, but for nearly the past seven years total and nearly six years here on 710 KNUS, our home base here in Denver. Thank you for listening to this program. I have done it with gratitude. I've tried to make it part history lesson, part appreciation, part education, and we could not have done this program over the years without our incredible veterans. Once again, thank you to Attorney John Boson at Boson Law, B-O-E-S-E-N Law, BosonLaw.com, 303-999-9999. In this segment, we pay tribute to a World War II hero, the United States Army Sergeant Harold Nelson. He passed away this past week at the astonishing age of 108. We'll go back to when we visited him on the eve, so to speak, of his 104th birthday. We'll have that. Segments two and three, the very first guest on the American Veteran Show was my friend and colleague, George Brockler. We will wrap up the program with some final thoughts and a look back at some of the memories that I have from being with you on the American Veteran Show. First, Denver's own Harold Nelson. I want to take you back to when I spent part of an afternoon with him and his North Denver home, near his 104th birthday. We come to you from North Denver and the home of a World War II hero, though he's probably going to say, I was only doing my job. We've heard that before. Staff Sergeant Harold Nelson. He turns 104 next month, and he's welcomed us into his home. I'm so grateful. Think about this. He was born in 1915. Absolutely amazing. Sir, first of all, thank you for your service and for welcoming me to your home here. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you for coming. Tell me where you were December 7th, 1941, when the United States was thrust into World War II. I was having breakfast at the, uh, uh, in the Army in Tacoma, Washington, Fort Lewis. And when we got the word that they bombed Pearl Harbor... 
and they immediately uh, got us together and gave us three rounds of ammunition and headed, sent us into the mountains. Uh, because the enemy was supposed to have a submarine out at a uh, out offshore, to, uh, they were going to shell uh, to Fort Lewis, Washington. So they got us out of there. But I guess there wasn't any submarine. And you were pretty cold, weren't you? Oh, up in the frozen death, even though it wasn't freezing. We were we weren't used to sleeping out in the hills. Yeah, you had what three rounds of ammunition and one blanket. Three rounds of ammunition and one blanket. That I don't know how we had to be a pretty good shot, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to take down a sub, but thank goodness it wasn't there. I mean, your military career. I know Camp Roberts very well from going to school in Central California, Central Coast of California. You were there, Fort Leavenworth. You were a, a lot of places before you entered North Africa. Well, I was in Camp Roberts to do my uh, initial training for nine months before I was sent to Fort Lewis, Washington. Gotcha. You then go to San Diego, then you go back east, and then you head to, you head to, did you know where you were going? A lot of people, it was always destination unknown. We didn't know where we were going till we got on the ship and was halfway across the ocean. They told us and what we had to do. And where were you going? Well, we had a train to go down our uh, rope ladders off the ship to to get into Higgins' boats, which wasn't easy when the water was rough. Several of my men got broken legs, but I came out okay. I fell into the boat. So I, <laughs> if if you ever tried climbing down a, a cargo net off of a ship in rough waters, you know it isn't easy. <laughs> I imagine it's very tough. Again, we are talking with Staff Sergeant Harold Nelson. He is a World War II veteran with just an amazing story as we come to you this week's edition of the American Veteran Show from his home here in North Denver. Let me ask you where that destination unknown ended up being what, Morocco? We ended up in the French Morocco at Rabat, Africa. Yeah, we were landed in, in uh, Higgins' boats. Had you even ever heard of Morocco? Uh, did I ever hear of Morocco? I never knew where Morocco was. <laughs> and you found that you were there. What did you guys do? Did you encounter uh, any enemy fire right away? What was that like? No, we never. In, uh, uh, my platoon didn't encounter any enemy fire, but we had a. Uh, we landed on coral rocks, and if anybody knows what they are, they're just like a steeple in a, in the ocean. A lot of my men hurt their legs. And we all got wet, but there was no enemy fire until the next couple of days. And what was what was that like? Well, it was just about marching towards Jabot, Africa, uh, and, and uh, wait for the enemy. So, other than that, the the Germans were shelling us from the Gene Martin and the. The battleship Jean Bart and our and the Richelieu. That was probably the only uh, uh, enemy problem we had was the shelling from uh, the uh, German ships. 
I, I, I dug in behind a, a, a tombstone in a graveyard when they were shelling. And I, and I wondered if that guy down underneath me knew how he saved my life. <laughs> he, he probably didn't. <laughs> yeah, he probably didn't. But as you continue this, I mean, did you feel like you had enough training to kind of go into that theater of battle? Well, not really. Well, of course, none of us knew what it was. war was all about until you actually get into the fighting. That's when you learn what the war is about. Were you ever frightened for your life? And I know we'll get into we'll get into the fact that you know you you were injured multiple times. I think you took a bullet to the helmet. Uh, we'll talk about that. But when you when you feel that war experience for the first time, it's got to be something else. Well, I was scared to death most of the time, but couldn't do much else. I had to live out in the open. Mm-hmm. Now, I had a roof over my head for four hours one night in two years in a, in a school in, in Casablanca. <laughs> you had an experience with General Patton, correct? Tell me about that. Well, I'd like to tell him, but he's not here anymore. On his return, Americans showed their gratitude. In General Pershing's words, it didn't hurt America to have a general so bold that he was dangerous. We were getting ready to load on the LCI number one to invade Sicily. And my men and I had, had walked 20 miles, actually ran 20 miles in four hours. And my men were going up the gangplank. And, and Patton says, D.H., can't you give your men some orders? They look like they're all pooped out. I had a notion to tell him, sir, they are pooped out. We ran 20 miles and you rode in that in the dum-dum deep. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't say it. <laughs> I was going to say, you had the, the, the wherewithal to hold those words back. <laughs> the what? You, you held those words back. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Patton was a good soldier, good general. An incredible sweetheart, an incredible representative of the greatest generation. Again, Harold Nelson, Silver Star recipient, United States Army Sergeant, World War II. He passed away last week peacefully with family at 108 in Grand Junction. When we come back, the final edition of the American Veteran Show continues. My friend, my colleague, and colonel in the United States Army, George Brockler. That comes up next. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Now, back to the American Veteran Show. Here's Stephan Tubbs. Welcome back to the American Veteran Show, our final edition after nearly seven full seasons. And way back in the day when this program started on Devil Radio, my first guest on the American Veteran Show was General George Brock. <laughs> yeah. And he joins us. Hey, buddy. I appreciate that. The uh, wish I could be a general, but uh, I lost the election and I haven't been promoted yet. Well, sorry. It's good to have you on the program and I appreciate your friendship and, and your time. You have not slowed down in this military deal. We're going to get to the present day, but I want to go back. When you were a student at Bear Creek oh, my. High School, yeah. back in the day where we used pencils and... Uh-huh. No cell phones. Why no cell was it phone. the military for you? 
That's such a good question. Um, in part, it was a product of the household that I grew up in. And I can't tell you know, my dad got drafted for Vietnam and he was one of the, the people that deferred while he was in college. And then as soon as he got his degree, went right in. So the, he was ended up being a spec five back when there was such a thing, a specialist, fifth class specialist. Um uh, with a college degree. And so, um, you know, I, everyone in his family, his brother had served over in Vietnam. His dad had been, I think, in like the New York National Guard. And, you know, he was, I don't know, he was just a very uh, Christian, committed, and he still is, a patriotic person. And somehow growing up in that household without the proselytizing, without the, the it wasn't something that was beaten over our heads. You just grew up feeling like we were in a pretty damn special place. And it really falls to the handful of people who can and will. Because as you know, from all of doing this, not everybody who wants to can and not everybody who can wants to. And so you have that very small group. And then on top of that, candidly, I mean, it's during the Reagan years, man. You know, and you got movies like Top Gun that come out. And I remember at the time thinking, this is the best thing ever. I serve my country by flying jets and blowing up the bad guys, the commies and all that other stuff. And so I got it in my head that I wanted to go to the Naval Academy. I was going to be a naval aviator, just like Tom Cruise. And that's just one of those stupid things that happens when you're a young teenager. But then one day after... um, Getting nominated to all three academies, uh, two of them by uh, Senator Bill Armstrong back then, kind of the godfather of conservatism out here in Colorado, and one of them by uh, Dan Schaefer, who was my congressman, uh, predecessor to Mike Kaufman out in the 6th CD. Um, I get this package in the mail that uh, from the Navy, uh, more of like a letter that just said, hey, you've been disqualified because you have a color deficiency in your vision. And it's those color chromatographs, man, those little circles that have the little different colored dots yeah. in them and they make up numbers. Well, you have to get like nine out of 15 right. And I got five out of, I mean, I didn't know I had any, you don't know that you have that. And so they just straight out disqualified me and I couldn't have been more bummed. And I mean, it was a faith check moment for me too, because and I how rem- old are you at that time? Oh, well, so I would have been, I'd have been a senior at this point. Yeah. So you're a teenager. So I'm 17, 18 years old when this happens. And I was like, why in the world would God put this on my heart and then rip it away from me in the stupidest way, right? Like, if I'm not competitive and I can't make it, that's one thing. But this is stupid. And um, so I ended up pursuing. I've told this story a million times. I I had applied to the other academies, gotten nominated, and one of the applications was for the Army and had a little box to check that said – uh, I'm interested in an ROTC application as well. And my mom, God rest her soul, was like, um, you need to check that box. You need to get that material. And I said, um, I don't know if you know this. You've given birth to a winner. You don't. I don't really need to waste anyone's time. And back then, as you remember, there is no electronic anything. If you get something in the mail, it's paper. Catalogs were sent in the mail. There were phone books dropped. On, yeah. So it's letters back and forth. I'm like, why waste anybody's time? Why kill a tree? We love trees. So she says, do it. You do what your mom says. It comes in. Fill it out. I don't want to fill it out. Fill it out. I fill it out. I send it back in. And then there becomes this next two procession of letters from the Air Force Academy and from West Point. And I'd visited all the academies, man. I mean, I was in. I was all in. And if you have a letter for something you've applied for that does not begin with, it is my pleasure or congratulations, you didn't get it. Yeah. And all of those letters began, the application process is keen and competitive or whatever. And I'm just like, are you what? So I'm just like, what am I? I mean, I want to serve. I don't know what I'm going to do. Finally, I get a packet in the mail. 
Army ROTC, congratulations. You've been selected. You have this scholarship. You can take it to any college that has an ROTC program. We will pay at the time, I think it was like $8,000 a year or 80% of your tuition, whatever's less. And, of course, based on virtually no investigation at all, other than the fact that they had an aerospace engineering program, I which I got went. into. I know where you went. I went right up the road to the most military-friendly school on the planet Earth, University yes. of Colorado Boulder. And, <laughs> and I took my scholarship up there, and my life has never been the same since. The rest is history. Our very first guest on the American Veteran Show seven years ago was George Brockler. He, of course, on uh, the regular shift of the wonderful 6A to 10A on air, he got to get up just a little bit earlier but yeah. you know one of the reasons why i wanted you on george again the george brockler show six to ten monday through friday on seven ten. thank you i've watched you and especially it seems like you are now you seem to be busier than ever yeah like with your commitments to the country is that true in a way, yes. But also, there's a freneticism that takes place. Look, gone are the days, and you'll remember this, where you could just be a radio host for the morning or afternoon drive time, and that would pretty much take care of your bills and all that other stuff. So as I was just making my way in that transition from fill-in guy to weird Saturday morning host guy to the hour after peak at all this, you know, I stopped being the district attorney. Well, when you're the DA and people ask, hey, what are you doing these day, day, days? Your answer is the DA. Well, by now, I mean, I got so many dang jobs, man, to try to pay the bills. It's like, well, I do the radio thing six to ten. I, uh, I'm also still doing the army. I'm still a colonel in the guard, trying like heck to shoot that unicorn off a of meteor and get promoted to O seven to be a brigadier general. And uh, oh, by the way, I do a bunch of these overseas things where I help train these other militaries in human rights law and law of war and all that other stuff. And then I work for a company where I do some consulting. I write a column for the Gazette. I do some legal analysis for KDVR. And then you got kids that you got to run around and do all this other stuff. I feel like I have less time today than I did doing all the DA stuff. But some of the stuff I'm the most proud of is what I've been able to do in uniform. But I still have, and I know I said this seven years ago, man, when we did this, I still have this itch that needs to be scratched and i feel guilty as hell that i have been in uniform as long as i've been in uniform and i've been asked to do as little as i've been asked to do one deployment two mobilizations one deployment i know guys that serve less time who deployed five times seven times i mean you've talked to these guys i keep waiting for the call George, we want you to go do this thing. We need to send you to whatever it is. And I, it just doesn't come. And when you reach a certain rank and a certain level, and, and listen, I'm not a special forces operator guy. I, I don't have those kinds of fungible battlefield skills. Um, it's hard. Like, I can't just stick up my hand and say, I'd like to go to blank. It just doesn't work like that for me or my rank or the military. I'm the same rank as a brigadier commander, right? You know, like a... I'm sorry, a brigade commander, an 06 would command battalions, multiple, the whole division. I, I can't do that. So I keep waiting for something to be asked of me, and it just hasn't happened, and I'm running out of time. If I don't get promoted May of 2025, they just remove me. I'm so what's, what, what's, the, what's the obstacle ahead to get promoted? His name is Tommy Tuberville. I've heard of that guy. Yeah. He's the senator from down there in Alabama who has held up... 
the promotion process for not just generals and admirals and all that, but all the people at the doorstep. I need something called a certificate of eligibility, and it's just um, stuck in a pipeline somewhere waiting. Even if I get that, and I am confident I'd get that, that doesn't mean I'm a general. And I, then I have to find a job where someone says, I like you, senior 06 guy, more than I like this, this 06 woman, this 06 guy, or whatever it is. Highly competitive, but I can't compete, and the clock is running out. They don't pause my retirement. They just say mandatory removal date, MRD, May of 2025. You so that's either- kind of hanging like a specter oh, buddy. down the road. we got to take our first no, uh, break with, do it. with George, but um, I'm thanking you in advance for never making me call you Colonel. Well, there's still time on the clock. We're coming back for a second segment. We are. George Brockler, the first guest on the American Veteran Show, our our maiden voyage seven years ago, as today, the final episode of the American Veteran Show. Don't forget that all past episodes will still be available for you online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. We're back with uh, Colonel Brockler coming up next. Again, this is the American Veteran Show final edition, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Welcome back to the American Veteran Show. We continue now with Stefan Tubbs. We continue on this, the final edition of the American Veteran Show. I just want to thank you and to you veterans, veteran families, active duty members, active duty family members. Thank you. I know from talking with you and all of you have made me so much smarter. Uh, when, when there is someone in your family that serves, the family serves as well. We continue with George Brockler, who, of course, is Monday through Friday, 6 to 10 on 710 KNUS and still in the Army National Guard and um, first guest ever. Do you remember that? Remember when I said, hey, I'm thinking of doing this show. Yeah. I'd like you to be my first guest. Come I on do. into the studio. Huge honor, by the way. I think uh, for me, I thought this thing will be over today. Like, that's it. <laughs> this We're will gonna, be it'll be a one, one and done. The American Veterans Show will be a singular one episode thing. But it was a huge honor to be asked to do it. And then who knew that seven years later, man, we'd be uh, in the positions that we're in. I mean, right. I, you know, it's weird uh, yeah. what takes place in between. Like, I can't envision the radio here in Denver without you on it. Um, so, and that's weird. Is that a good thing? I don't think it's a good thing. I, but, but I also think, too, that a lot of this is, you know, you talk about uh, service to the country and, and all that. And you talk to great people and people who've made far more sacrifices than I have. But at the end of the day, too, your willingness to do that and to use your platform and to use a woke term of the day, your voice to help advance oh, nice. <laughs> to help Thank it, you very much to help it advance those stories and remind people about service and who does it and you know especially at a time when we're so friggin polarized and tribalized to be able to remind people look to your left look to your right that person down the street right there that's a person that either stuck up their hand and right. said i'll give it all up for america or answered the call when america said I'm going to send you to a place you may not come back from. I mean, that's that's a big deal. And I, I mean, you are to be commended for doing that for as long as you have. I think it's selfish. You're not doing it anymore. Well, you know, no, those past kidding. episodes totally again <laughs> online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. I want to ask you seriously from, you know, not your radio talk show host uh, hat on your head or or your past as the district attorney uh, in the 18th. How close do you think we are right now to seeing, you know, maybe troops on the ground with the Israel Hamas just horrific, you know, innocence on both sides 
being killed, innocent Palestinians. And I know this is probably controversial, right? But I, I've said on the regular program before saying and it's it's it, this is a broad example, but saying that every Palestinian supports Hamas is about as stupid to me as mm-hmm. saying every American supports BLM. I mean, that's just uh, or Antifa. That's just not the case. But how you've watched this over the last few weeks, are you thinking that we could see boots on the ground in that region again? In that region is different. I thought you were going to say in Israel. I don't. I don't see us putting boots on the ground not. in Israel, in part because I don't think Israel wants us to put boots on the ground there. They want our support. They want us to help, but whether it's material or what, I don't think they want us to put boots on the ground. They want to defend themselves with whatever assistance that they need. However, the attacks on the other servicemen and women that are out there in the periphery, those ones operating still in Iraq and other places, and we read about the drone attacks and yep. other things. Those things could trigger a boots on the ground response. I hope not. And I hope it doesn't get extended to the broader Middle East right now. I mean, given the fact that Saudi Arabia participated in shooting down a Houthi fired um, Scud or surface to air missile or whatever it was that got fired that was headed for Israel. I think that's a good sign. I think that's a good sign. I worry about this, though, changing the Middle East forever. And all of a sudden, uh, I like the idea of renewable energy better. I just want to make these guys irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Not the Israeli part. I just all, all the bad guys that have oil in the ground that tend to sell it to Russia and whoever else and then use the money to I hate America. I hate Israel. I don't know, man. Maybe if they ran out of money, they could go back to throwing rocks at each other. But um, I'm not convinced that's going to happen. My bigger worry is. What happens with, and we've taken our eye off the ball a little bit, is Ukraine and then ultimately Taiwan. And I mean, if, you're, if you're China and you're watching this play out, how extended does America have to get before you're willing to test the you waters? You haven't even mentioned North Korea. Well, North Korea is always going to be a problem. They're always going to be a risk. But I do think to some extent Xi has North Korea on a short leash and you would I think you would consider what role they could play in a different future if you're Xi, depending upon how Taiwan goes. But he's got to be looking at this saying these guys are getting stretched pretty thin, right? They're war weary. We've just spent 20 years in two different countries. We're out of that. It's a bit of a show in Congress. We've got back to back presidents where we don't know what's coming or going Um I don't know. I don't I don't want to believe Xi is going to use force to overtake Taiwan. But what could our response be today? And we've said that there would be. Yeah. You know, we've, we've what, put ourselves we in a do? corner as a nation. George Brockler is our guest Monday through Friday on 710 KNUS out of Denver, Colorado, uh, 6 to 10 Monday through Friday. You know, one of the things that I've always been in awe of you is you've balanced family. You've balanced uh, your military service and. I don't think you're done with politics, to be quite honest with you, but I don't need to tell you that. But you know what? I mean, you were a district attorney and the prosecutor of one of, sadly, I have to say it that way, one of the worst stories um, in recent memory in this metro area. Man, I mean, that's a lot to balance. And of course, I'm talking about the Aurora Theater. I don't think there's any doubt that my future includes one, an addiction and two great deals of therapy. But for right now. Heavy I'm, emphasis on therapy. I'm able to it. I'm able to compartmentalize a lot of that stuff for better or for worse. 
Um, I have been a little bit of a Forrest Gump on some of these evil acts. I mean, you have man to wander around and figure out a way into that Columbine case and then leave that entire jurisdiction. And years late, I've left prosecution years later, come back. And on my way back in, oh, there's Aurora uh, on my way out the door. Oh, there's STEM in between, you know, Arapahoe High School, the near mass shooting at Mountain Vista, all the other. It just it is weird to have been in that position and to have had those things happen. And and you've been here long enough to know if someone had told you back in 1998 that some of the worst mass shootings, most notorious mass shootings in America were going to take place in the sleepy suburbs of Denver, you just said, you're crack smoke crazy. That's San Diego you're talking about. No, I'm kidding. That's that's me, my hometown. Totally, totally kidding. Um, But you would say, that's crazy. Not in Colorado. I mean, that's not going to happen. And yet here we are, man. All of these things are within about 20, 25 miles of each other in just a couple decades. It's crazy. What is it about being a prosecutor? Like, what is that in you that you're like, I want to be a part of it? I never wanted to be an attorney. I've, I've mentioned this before. I had no interest in being an attorney. I'm in my senior year at the University of Colorado Boulder. I did extremely well, got extremely lucky in the ROTC program, and I was uh, ranked in one of the top 10% of cadets in the country. I could do anything I wanted. And so when I got my little dream sheet, my wish sheet of where I wanted to go, you know, branch wise, I'm picking combat arms. You know, my first choice was armor because I thought this is perfect coming out of Desert Storm. I get to go blow things up and I don't have to walk to get there. I mean, how? could you want and i could be cavalry i mean this is great stuff and then i picked some other things air defense artillery i can't i don't know if i ever picked infantry but maybe aviation or something and then uh some dudes pulled me aside and said you talk purdy maybe you ought to consider something else and i'm like what is else and they talked about jag i didn't know what it was they mm-hmm. told me what it did i said let me go talk to my mom who was an attorney at the time and of course she loved it i took the l set i'm really good at multiple choice i did really well i got into the law school that i applied to and next thing i know i'm like well i'm gonna go back on active duty of course after this i was already a second lieutenant and um i should probably get some trial experience figure out what it's like so i did this trial ad class i then did a semester for free down in the appellate section of the jeffco da's office and i started hanging out with these dudes and dudettes and i'd go to court and i'd watch them and then over the summer i got to try some cases and i was like not only am i good at this i get it man i get it the whole law and order thing. It's not just if this, then that. That's too easy. And we do see a lot of that in prosecution. But the nuance of trying to find a way to squeeze justice out of a situation where it is not obvious and it is imperfect. There's a real skill and art to that. And I don't know that I've mastered it yet, but I love the idea of standing up for the victims of bullies and bad guys and feeling like at the end of the day, if I ride off into the sunset, I'm wearing the white hat, not the black hat. We got to wrap up, but I just want to thank you for your friendship. Thank you for being not only the first guest on this program, but the last as well. And um, thank you for what you do, brother. Oh, I, same thing, Stefan. This show has been wonderful. I'm bummed that it's leaving. Frankly, I still can't believe it survived your first interview, but I am honored to be the guy that was first in the door and last out on this great program. And I hope people go back over the years and share this with their loved ones and grandkids and nieces and nephews. This is just good stuff, man. Thank you for letting me be part of it. Thank you, brother. George Brockler will wrap up coming up our final segment on the American Veteran Show, our final program. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. 
This is the American Veteran Show, online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephan Tubbs. We wrap up this week's edition of the American Veteran Show. We wrap up the American Veteran Show as a, as a program. And I just want to say on behalf of my past producers, Kirk Whitland, uh, of course, current producer Michael Arpaio. Thank you to Jim Nichols. Thank you to Adam Walker, who was just phenomenal as well on this program. Over the past nearly seven full years, we have brought you this program that I've been proud to be a part of. I'm thankful to back in the day when this started. Thank you to Greg Foster at KOA and KHOW Radio. Yes, on the regular show, I call them Devil Radio. But I appreciate Greg in letting me start this program. And then when I came to 710 KNUS, a heartfelt thanks and my heart full of gratitude for our former general manager, Brian Taylor, and uh, our current program and operations manager, Kelly Michaels. Thank you both, gentlemen, for letting me bring this program to our audience and available, of course, as I should definitely mention, AmericanVeteranShow.com will continue all of our past episodes, at least the ones that we could find are all there for you in case you need an American Veteran Show fix. I've tried to tell you many, many, many times how much we love space on this program. The Eagle has landed. Rocket clang, clang quality. We copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot. One of the things over the years that I have loved to do is talk about space, especially because so many of our astronauts, obviously men to start the space program and now to include men and women, they're United States veterans. That's one small for man. One giant weight for man. And it's so exciting to me over the years to have kind of started with the infancy of Elon Musk's SpaceX. Three, two, one, zero. Ignition. And three, well, I don't draw it, but three, why is it? I mean, very cool. He was like, I don't know. 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 I don't Vehicle already fetching down range all time. I mean, I've learned on this program what Miko means, main engine cutoff. We've loved to cover space, and of course, thank you to the during this program's history, the formation of the United States Space Force, to the men and women connected with reaching for the stars, as corny as that may sound. I wish you all Godspeed. And will it be in our lifetime, our children's lifetime? Seems like most certainly our grandchildren's lifetimes that we will have a manned mission to Mars. We've taken this program, friends, on the road. Some of my favorite times have been taking the American Veteran Show on the road during my personal travels. We've come to you from France. We've talked about old battle sites. I've reported on on history in Normandy, talked with World War II veterans who were part of D-Day on this program. Truly my honor. We, of course, one of my favorite places to travel has been London. And this program has certainly generated material from the United Kingdom. I've traveled to Australia with all kinds of Colorado and World War II veterans from around the country. 
I do like to say, with the utmost respect and love, some of these programs over the years that I've been uh, just so honored, and, and it was my privilege to be with them, it's been at times or was at times like herding cats. I got to be honest with you. But we've been again to France, to UK, to Australia. And many, many times we have uh, generated this program and talked about Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, and the memories of our veterans, some of their family members over the years of where they were December 7th, 1941, what they remember their parents and their grandparents talking about with the surprise Japanese attack on the Pacific Fleet. It's been an honor to to report on those survivor stories and certainly bring you the stories of Pearl Harbor survivors themselves domestically here. How many times I was able to go to Washington, D.C. and visit the incredible memorials and be reminded that despite our differences and politics the way it is, that we all are so blessed to live in this, the greatest country on earth. One of the one of the groups that I, I want to remember, of course, uh, countless VFW posts, countless American Legion posts, but one of them that I will remember because of its infancy, starting through succession and su- success, is the Honor Bell Foundation here locally. Rest in peace to my friend, the founder of the Honor Bell Foundation, honorbell.org. Rest in peace to Lou Oliveira. So many times we have talked about post-traumatic stress and veteran suicide in 22 a day. And Lou would tell me that everything was fine. And it wasn't. Lou took his life several years ago. Michelle Mallon, who lost her battle, but it was a, a fight to the end against cancer. Lou and Michelle, I love you both and rest in peace. To the veterans that have looked at me and told me everything is fine, and then they would no longer be with us, may we always, always remember those veterans who have taken their own lives and continue the work to thwart and stop veteran suicide. One is too many. To my friends Butch, (sighs) Butch Dessens, and Bob McAdam, I had the honor of delivering a eulogy at Mr. McAdam of 25 Steps fame, both of them, the two POWs who met 70-plus years later at a retirement home in Highlands Ranch, Colorado. I had a chance to deliver Mr. McAdam's eulogy. The man he met in the hallway, Sherwin Butch Dessens, lived just down and across the hall, just, again, 25 steps away. The exchange went something like, I hear you were a POW. Yes. But you were in the Pacific. No, I was in Europe. Well, so was I. Where were you? Germany. So was I. What camp were you in? Stalag Luft 1. So was I. What compound were you in? North 2. So was I. It was God's work, in my opinion. 
And it was incredible. That from the eulogy for Mr. Bob McAdam. Rest in peace to Bob and Butch, now forever together in heaven. And most recently, the loss of one of my favorite human beings, Joe Weinmeyer, a frequent guest on the American Veteran Show and on my regular program as well. Flamethrower, World War II, United States Marine, Semper Fi Marine, rest in peace. I've tried my best as a human being and as the most accurate newsman I could be over the years and will strive to be the rest of my life. Someone who appreciates the sacrifice of our veterans and their families. And to those of you who may have current family members, active duty, a distant cousin, please never forget their sacrifice. And I do know, I've learned on this program that the entire family serves to American military family and Debbie Quackenbush, to all of the countless charities connected with veterans issues and military issues, I say thank you. Thank you to TAPS, Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors. That wraps up the American Veteran Show. Find us online, AmericanVeteranShow.com. God bless the United States of America. We are nothing without our veterans. For producer Michael Arpaio, I'm Stephen Tubbs, and for the final time, remember our troops. The American Veteran Show is a copyrighted production of Mountain Time Media Group, LLC. All rights reserved. For more information, visit AmericanVeteranShow.com. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay with outstanding federal benefits and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers USBP.